Just a reminder before I start that you can support me in the small monthly costs that it, that I must incur for keeping this podcast going by clicking on the link, support this show, and buying me a cup of coffee. Thank you for those who have done this already. And now, the third Sunday in Ordinary Time. These weeks between the baptism of the Lord and Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, belong to what is called ordinary or sometimes ordered time in the church calendar. These weeks are a kind of great plains on the Christian journey to our real home in heaven. They're where everyday life happens, where the choices are made and the directions are set for our final destination. These weeks are when we put into practical application both the mysteries we celebrate in the great feasts and seasons and also receive practical advice from Holy Church about Christian life. So today we are given a lesson in sacred history and a reminder about Christ's intention for the Church. About a thousand years before Jesus was born, David ruled as king of Israel, having succeeded King Saul. After David's death, his son, Solomon, ruled as king. But Solomon engaged in worship of idols, and so after his death, the kingdom began to splinter, eventually dividing into two kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Eight centuries before Christ, 400 years later, that part of the kingdom in the north where the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali lived was attacked and invaded by the Assyrians. And those two tribes were hauled off into captivity. It marked the beginning of the kingdom's end. The Davidic Empire finally crumbled in the 6th century before Christ when Jerusalem was seized by Babylon and the remaining tribes were driven into exile. Isaiah prophesied that Zebulun and Naphtali, the lands first to be degraded, would be the first to see the light of God's salvation. Jesus today fulfills that prophecy in the first reading, announcing the restoration of David's kingdom at precisely the spot where the kingdom began to fail. The kingdom that Christ proclaims, though, will include not only the twelve tribes of Israel, but all the nations, symbolised by the term Galilee of the nations. In this place he calls his first disciples, fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. He appoints them to be fishers of men, gathering people from the ends of the earth. They are to preach the gospel, as St Paul says in today's epistle, to unite all peoples in the same mind and in the same purpose in a worldwide kingdom of God. So what a millennium before 
in human terms, seemed like a disaster, did, in the plan of God, play a part in the salvation of the world. When we, sur- when we recite the symbol of our faith, the Nicene Creed, we declare that the church that Christ began is one holy, Catholic and apostolic. The apostolic character of the church is seen at its very outset in the call of Simon and Andrew, James and John, four of the twelve apostles. Over the next few years Christ formed them and the other eight during his public ministry. After his resurrection, he commissioned the eleven to spread the gospel to the whole world. Christ entrusted his teachings and the means of sanctification to the twelve apostles he chose, whose head was Peter. They in turn entrusted their ministry to men, the men we now call bishops, whose head is the Pope. Throughout the centuries, bishops entrusted their ministry to other men, the line of bishops and popes right down to today. We call this reality apostolic succession. To the Pope and the bishops is entrusted the task of guarding the faith and the tradition of the Church and handing it on. When something novel arises in the Church, it has always been the cherished way to ask what did the Apostles say and do. The reason for this is that no new revelation from God has come since the death of the last Apostle, or will it come? Christ not only founded the Church, but he left to her the means of dealing with everything that would arise over the centuries as she performed her task of preaching the Gospel, converting the nations and bringing souls to heaven. What Christ did was to deposit the faith with the Church, much like depositing money in the bank. The Pope and the bishops then have the task in each age of guarding this deposit. They cannot take some out and spend it, dispose of it. They must not take some out and change it into something else. The Church grows in its understanding and expression of the faith and so may develop the faith but not change it. It must always be the same doctrine, in the same sense and with the same meaning. Our unity comes from professing and believing the same faith, the faith of the Apostles and the faith of our Fathers, as the beautiful hymn says. Our times are often marked by a desire for novelty and change and a disdain or cynicism about the past. But that is not the way of the Church because we are both a sacramental Church and an apostolic one. The Holy Spirit resides in the Church and so makes her holy. The Church is meant for all times and all peoples. It is Catholic, universal not a regional or national church. 
We may imagine the faith as a kind of baton, a sacred baton, passed from one generation to the next to ensure the continuity of the race we are running in the footsteps of the apostles as we strive to attain the heavenly prize. May all the holy apostles pray for us and pray for the Church. Laudato Jesus Christus.